So everything's been going wrong in the wizarding world recently. The Death Eaters are wreaking havoc, Voldemort is gaining power, and everything appears to be shot in sepia tone. Mm, you know, that's never good. But Dumbledore seems to have found something to help Harry in his approaching war with the dark side. Will it work? Or will it all come tumbling down? Let's find out in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. here on Fail Entertainment. We are very much in the home stretch now. We're on to episode six. It's not episodes, they're movies. Uh, we're on to movie number six even, The Half-Blood Prince. I'm Darren. And I'm Mike. And I have pizza. You have pizza, Michael. I'm doing very well. Yes, we are going gangbusters with these podcasts in an attempt to get them ready before Fantastic Beasts comes out very, very soon, just a few days away from that. The next chapter in the Harry Potter movie. Uh, but yeah, as I said, we're really now into the kind of final throes of this movie. Uh, this is, of course, the penultimate book. It's not the penultimate movie, but it is the penultimate book. Yes. Um, really laying the tone. The last big heavy blow happens at the end of this movie, which we'll talk about in a second, uh, before we kind of get the, the upswing that is Deathly Hallows for the most part. Um, yeah, as I said, in the... In the um, Last podcast, Order of the Phoenix, my least favourite movie, my least favourite book, followed by one of my favourite books. I'd probably put it second um, behind Goblet of Fire as my favourite book. Um, but I don't think you share that opinion. I sure as hell don't. Sorry, I'm eating pizza. Oh, um, Michael. Yeah. I really didn't like this movie. Because, I mean, although I, we criticise uh, Order of the Phoenix for not having anything happen within the first two hours, nothing happens for the first hour and a half of this movie... And everybody told me it was amazing. And I came out thoroughly, thoroughly disappointed. I think where this one gets it right, where I believe all of the Phoenix got it wrong, was that, yes, there's not much happening. But in terms of there's not really any great early on action set pieces. But all of the talking that happens, there's a lot of talking in Order of Fiends that goes nowhere. Yeah. It's all to service that one movie and to service the Umbridge plot. Like, what the fuck? Why do we need to see so much of Ron finally participating in Quidditch? What, why was that a necessary plot yeah, point? Yeah, that was, that was odd. I'm not going to lie there. That was a bit of a tack on there. But you needed that for the Lavender Brain stuff, I suppose. Which I didn't like. We'll get to that. Don't worry. Um, no, what we, what we had, I, I think there's a lot of talking stuff here. And good acting stuff here that really does service the overall plot and sets us up for Deathly Hallows. Whereas I think all of the things waste my time in a boring way. I think this, whilst not being the most riveting and action-packed maybe, as, as, especially Deathly Hallows Part 2, everything here serves a purpose. There is a, there is a, there is a goal to almost everything, other than the Ron stuff, which you didn't, which I will admit yeah, doesn't really go anywhere. But... Yep. Um, but, but no, I think that's why I like it. There's a lot of good storyline going on here. A lot of meaty morsels to get a, um, teeth into. Whereas I think that they are just that. They're morsels. It's spread very, very thinly across a two and a half hour timescape. Which I think is what most people think about the following movie. 
Mm-hmm. But I would actually disagree with. I think this movie is the one that is spread way too thin. Aren't we teasing lots of things here, Michael? Yeah. Much like the movies do. Yes, we did. We'll, we'll, we'll dive straight in. Of course, we get a new Defence Against the Dark Art teacher. Once again. Didn't have a very big um, um, you know, mountain to climb in terms of being better than Umbridge for me. Uh, and we get Professor Slughorn. Yeah. I've actually misspoke. He's not the new Defence Against the Dark Arts teacher, but we are led to believe so. When we first see him, he's introduced as an old professor at um, Hogwarts with ties to Tom Riddle, amongst others, uh, as the head of Slytherin House. Uh, and we meet him, uh, played by Jim Broadbent, um, and Dumbledore tries to get him back. I, I didn't really picture Slughorn looking like this when I read the books, but I think Jim Broadbent did a, a, a perfectly fine job. I'm just happy to have more um, English actors of high calibre brought into this, and there's lots of them. And by by and large, they pretty much all make their way into the Harry Potter franchise. So it's nice to have Jim Broadbent here doing something that I can only describe as thoroughly forgettable, which is a bit of a shame. Really? Yeah, I'm I'm not saying I didn't like him. I think his character was somewhat different from what we've seen so far because Slughorn is very much much like Dumbledore in the fact that he's the old god. Slughorn's most informative and important years aren't shown outside of no. the Pensieve. The Pensieve is very much the case of this is why Slughorn is important. Mm-hmm. But the whole thing, the whole subplot of of Harry getting really good at potions, because obviously that's where Slughorn ends up teaching as the head of the potions class, whereas Snape transfers over to Defence Against the Dark Arts. That's mm-hmm. the big bait and switch. I say big, it wasn't a bait and switch really, but mm-hmm. that happened. And that subplot served for... Not really a satisfying payoff, but maybe that's because this was common knowledge to me going into the movie. Right, I think if you'd come into either the book or the movie without that happening, I think that's why I like the book so much, is that it's a really well-told mystery. There's actually several mysteries going on. Like, what did Slughorn tell to, to Voldemort that's so important? You know, who is the Half-Blood Prince, of course, which is uh, the, the titular character from the title. Yeah. Um, the titular the, character from the title. Well, you know what I mean. Sentence. The, the titular um, character from the subtitle. There we go, yes. Um, yeah, which is found when we go to Slogan's class when they find out he's the Potion Master. Um, Ron and Harry have a fight over a textbook. Harry gets the old one. Uh, see, Ron can win things. Um, and uh, it turns out Ron actually loses because Harry gets hold of the Potion Book to end up Potion Books. Um in retrospect, we probably should have clocked on faster that it was Snape. Yeah. Um, you know, because the potions book made everything easier in the potions class. We knew it was a major character because it was in the subtitle. We really should have clocked on sooner that it was Snape. I was just disappointed that we didn't get a page 394 reference, but there we go. Huh? Turn to page 394. Sorry. Oh, well done. Well, ooh, well done. That was a deep pull that even I didn't get, Michael. Thank you. Oh, God, you have watched these recently, haven't you, I have you, watched these recently. Very well done, yes. Um, I love that line, by the way. We So we get to see Harry excel. That's something that's, again, more prominent in the book. He really does read this thing pillar to post in, in, the, in the books and, and finds out a lot of spells from it. A lot of uh, um, interesting things happen because of stuff he's learned in this book. Um, and, and, yeah, it, it kind of starts off the two, as I said, the two intertwining mysteries throughout this movie. Uh, which we get to explore, and and essentially we get to explore them through the via the Pensieve, as you've already mentioned, uh, in a lot of flashbacks to young Tom Riddle, which is probably my favourite part of this movie. Yeah, I really enjoyed is, it. Is the real fleshing out of of Voldemort because for the most part he was the kind of just spectral evil of, he is evil, he's unquestionably evil. Um, um, you don't need to know any more than that. He killed a lot of people. He's essentially a magical Nazi. Um, he is he is this equivalent of Hitler. 
don't pay any mind to. Um, it's actually the the most interesting part of this portrayal of Tom Riddle. Obviously, we knew that he was a student of Hogwarts from the second movie, but Voldemort's only talked about in hushed tones and people don't refer to him by name mm-hmm. like he's some kind of biblical figure as it was. But then you find out that he's existed within characters' lifetimes before he was Voldemort. Yep. That's probably the most interesting part. I think they did a great job of building up Voldemort in those first four books before you ever see him as, like, beware of him. It's the rare case where they spend a lot of time saying, watch out for this fucker, and then you actually do have to watch out for him. He's just as bad as everyone told you he is. Yeah. But there was always that thing of Dumbledore never showed any fear towards him. And this is the explanation of that fact, that he doesn't fear any fear because he knew Tom Riddle, the man, and everyone else just knows, you know, the Lord of Darkness, Voldemort. And we get to see him as a kid, we get to see him as a teenager, and we get to see him... uh, We actually get the one I really wanted to watch was cut from this. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene in the books where... Actually, no, we'll talk about the first two we see first, and I'll tell you about the first one I wanted to watch you. Okay. We get to see him in the orphanage. We've um, some nice some nice work to make Michael Gambon look slightly younger. Didn't work, um, but... Oh, he looked okay. Mm. He, had, he had different hair. Yeah. That implies he was younger. Um, and I like that they didn't give us any amount of sympathy for, for Tom Riddle. Yes, he's an orphan, which is automatically sympathetic, but he's, he's shown to be a bit of a dickhead yeah. already. You know what I mean? And I think that's actually a problem that J.K. Rowling has in some of her writings of villains, that she makes them just so unquestionably bad. Now, of course, there is one exception to this, potentially the best exception in my literary history, which we'll get to uh, in the, in Deathly House Part 2. Um, but yeah, this is what I, I, I remembered now. This is my problem we have with Slytherin House. It always annoyed me that they were just out-and-out out evil across the board in, in Slytherin. There was no yeah. redemptive features to any of them. What's the name of the the prominent female Slytherin student? Um, uh, Patsy Parkinson. Yes. That's one of the examples that really stuck out to me, especially. Parkinson. Yeah, Pansy Parkinson. Um, no, it is Patsy Parkinson, isn't it? One of the two. It's one of the two. Um, when she appears in later movies, that, that it's very much a case of, this is not a thing that people would say. I, I will say that she's almost a special exception because she said um, Pansy Parkinson was based on the the you know the most prominent bully of J.K. Rowling's younger life, and originally in the nineteen years later flash forward, she was going to be married to Malfoy, but she decided against that because she basically just wanted her to suffer, so mm. she didn't want to have any good outcome for <laughs> her. But that's my problem, right? They wouldn't. It's so lazy to say no. Everyone in this house is evil. They're all Nazis. Every single one of them hates everybody else and it's just bad. Because then why would you ever keep them in the school? You'd put them in detention straight away and just get rid of the problem, right? There is a joke, I think, in the book where they mention, I don't just chop all the heads off, but it's actually a pretty good formula considering most Death Eaters in the entire series, with the exception of Wormtail, do come from um, from Slivery. Yeah. All I would have wanted was you could have had, because the, the intrinsic values of Slivery aren't bad, they can be applied as bad, and that's what she always goes with. If there had been one kid, one fucking kid on the side of the light in the in Dumbledore's army fighting alongside the rest of them, he could be combative. I think that would have been a good thing to add into that mix, actually, to have someone who does question Harry quite openly. Not in, like, a, an aggressive way like Malfoy would, but, like, you know, be, have a little bit of friction there. Maybe in, in the way that the Seamus did in uh, Order. Exactly. Is yeah, it yeah. this movie? No, it's um, Order, isn't it? it, it, it Frequently, for yeah, yeah, yeah. the one chirping up. Um, yeah. But I would have liked that, because then that show that they're not just all evil. They they can still have, you know, be a bit devious and a bit, a bit skittish sometimes, but they're still good. 
and not all of them would have ran from the um, the Battle of Hogwarts in the last one. Yeah. Sorry, I went off on my tangent there, but that's always annoyed me about J.K. Rowling's no, writing. It's it's a good because because essentially it's just the evil house, and that's very lazy writing. Is, I know it's a kids' movie, and you got to simplify things, but that would have it looks one kid, male, female. I don't give a shit. It just just one kid that that just told the line, just just you know was, was the, on the right side of things. Anyway. Um, so yeah, we get to see him in the orphanage. Then we get to see him start charming Slughorn. That's where the, the bulk of this is. There's a few more we get from the Pensieve um, that, that show just how charming he can be. And that's how he got to power. He he is a good manipulator of people. Who can even manipulate the likes of Slughorn and, and even Dumbledore to some extent. Maybe not. He doesn't really have the pull over Dumbledore's eyes. But No, Dumbledore does see straight through him. He just hopes there's better for him. Yes. There was a scene in the books that I really, really wish would have made the cut. It's that Voldemort came back to Hogwarts to apply for the Defence Against the Dark Art teacher job. Roughly, you know, just before he started his reign of terror, he'd already started doing some dodgy things. He'd heard about the Elder One, he was on the trail of that, but he, he came back to... Um, it's explained away in the book that Dumbledore believes he came back to the school to steal something of Salazar Slytherin or another artefact to make into a Horcrux for the later books and yeah. stuff. Um, and they have an interview, and it's a very awkward interview of you know Voldemort saying uh, how great he is and Dumbledore not offering him the job, and then kind of leaving on these really uneven terms. I would have really liked that scene, because it would have shown that Dumbledore, even when things are on the turn, you show that kind of in-between stage between charming Voldemort and, and death Voldemort. I would have liked that. It's probably cooked for time. I'll get over it. But yes, these, yeah. these are the kind of things I'm saying about this movie that I really like really going in-depth to a character without really spoiling him. There's nothing he's taken away from, from Voldemort as a villain with these flashbacks. In fact, it just adds more you know, pathos to him. I just think this movie spends way too much time on just a lot of unnecessary shit. Now, not to say that the Voldemort backstory isn't and the Slughorn backstory isn't, because they, they have a purpose and they have their payoffs whatever that's fine but but it was this is the only movie i genuinely felt time passing in and i was like these movies are long movies but when i was watching goblet it went like that when i was watching deathly hallows it went like that when i was watching azkaban it went like that not so much for order there was a bit more of a oh come on can we get to something Mm -hmm. this one purely off because it was off the straight off the back of order for me i was like oh my fucking god when are we gonna get to something that happens so when we finally get to the horcrux cave i was like i paused it and i was like right how far are we into this we're we're an hour and a half into the movie Mm -hmm. and i could not tell you a fucking thing that's happened and that's a okay. problem. That's a big problem. When I can't summarise an hour and a half worth of movie, a standard movie running length, especially for a kid's movie, and I can't tell you one thing that's happened other than they're going to go and kill some Horcruxes, your movie's not good. Okay. I'll, I'll throw in a few a few hurdles in the way of things I, help, I think help. I think the whole mystery with Malfoy, this is Malfoy's real return to prominence as a character, really. Because we, we suspect him of being... Um, um, something's obviously wrong with Malfoy. He's not being his usual kind of, you know, eccentrically evil self. He's now just being quiet and cold and avoiding everybody. And Harry gets the, you know, the willies of him. Starts off immediately with him breaking his nose on the train when he's trying to spy on him. Um, they have to go and... Um, you, you know, they, they have to try and figure out what he's up to. 
um, quite a few times in this movie. Never really gets out what Marvel's playing. We see it as the audience, obviously, because we've seen with the vanishing cabinet with the birds and stuff. So we know he's been given a mission to do something. Um, we're also hinted at this at the at the opening of this, where it's Snape and um, uh, Bellatrix and Narcissa Malfoy doing the Unbreakable Curse. I completely forgot about that scene. I kind of like that one. It's very fun. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I don't really... I think Narcissa Malfoy was probably a bridge too far for me with the Malfoy really? family. I like Lucius. I like Draco. And Narcissa's kind of like, oh, okay, we have we have got the same character three times. No, yeah, I okay. like Narcissa. I think Narcissa's probably... As much as I just mentioned, all the all Slytherins are evil, and she's still evil, but I mean, she's the closest to being like... She hasn't got time for this kind of, you know, philosophical war of, of the light versus dark. She just wants her son to be saved. You know what I mean? And she does come good in, in Deathly House Part 2 by doing Harry a solid... And uh, not, you know, going, oh, I ain't fucking dead, shoot him again. Um, <laughs> give me the fucking shooter. <laughs> Look at that, he's got a shooter. I don't know why she's bricked up now, but there we go. Um, see, and, and then we finally get that scene with Malfoy and Harry in the in the bathroom, uh, where we get the use of Sectum Sempera to, to basically just shank, <laughs> magical shank Malfoy when we get bleeding out in, in the toilet. A very grim scene. Yeah. There's a lot of grim scenes in this. I wasn't joking when I wrote that intro that everything's in Zebia Town. It's all in that kind of green tinge to mm. everything. Yeah, like um, this, this... Like, the the order was, like, a very nicely shot movie and this was felt like it was going a bit arthouse. I can see why this got an um, an Academy nod for cinematography, mm-hmm. but it, it, it didn't do anything for me personally. I like, okay. I like my movies to be vibrant and engaging, not literally... I hope you're ready for the fucking emotional slog through the dirt before the good movie. I'm like, oh, come on. Do we have to? Really right, fine. We really do disagree on this movie. Uh, yeah. I think it's because I had this one built up. And, mm-hmm. I, and, and not not specifically by you, but by fans of Harry Potter. Okay. Have said that this was the turning point And like, as much as people don't like the inactivity of, of uh, Hallows Part 1, those, like, the, the, th- the running order of... Half Blood Part One, um, Hallows Part One and Hallows Part Two, is just like the ultimate crescendo, mm. and I'm not with them on that. I'm really not with them. This movie's okay. just too, it's too slow for what it wants to do. It's not satisfying up until the final hour, which is, it does not make a good movie for me. Okay, well we'll, we'll leave Malfoy for a second for, for obvious reasons, but um. Uh, what about Horcruxes? Does that not do anything for you? The, the kind of introduction of these of these yeah MacGuffins. Yeah, sure. Now yeah. here's the thing: I didn't know what the fuck these were until I saw this movie. So when they were introduced and like Slughorn mentions how to fa- like fashion Horcruxes, yeah. I was like, "Oh, this is the thing. This is the thing." And it holds apart uh, Voldemort. So I was like, "Oh, this is clever. I yes. like this aspect because it, it gives that uh, the, it removes the mystery of how did Voldemort survive? Yeah, when he should have died. It kind of it gives us a, a, a thing that, and it also gives us a finish line of like, okay, now we know how to defeat Voldemort. We have to get rid of these things. It is basically setting up a fetch quest. Yeah, which is which is which is not great. But I I, I like the fact that we've already met some that we we've already, already got some. Done. Yeah, like, we met the diary. The diary got rid of that. The ring's been killed as well, whatever it's done to Dumbledore's hand aside. Who did, when did that happen again? Right, the the ring thing happened. You do see very, very, very briefly in the Snape flashback in Deathly House Part 2. Yeah. But basically, prior to the start of the year, Dumbledore found the ring, um, was a bit seduced by it, you know, because it's, it's a hawk, it's a very powerful magical item. He got a bit seduced by it, and in a moment of stupidity, put it on. Yeah, we do see a, a, That's a, what... a, a, the thing of... 
these physical objects having manipulative effects over yes. people, which is really cool. And if it can affect Dumbledore, it can affect basically anybody. Because it affects Umbridge in this movie, doesn't it? Uh, that's the next movie. Oh, that's the next movie. Um, so he puts it on his finger, uh, and that's when Snape has to rush in to, to stop the counterculture. But he knows he's dying. He know Snape even says in the flashback, "You've got about a year to do- uh, to leave before this will this will inevitably kill you." Um, which is why things are kind of sped up in this movie if he's trying to teach Harry all he can yeah, very yeah. quickly. I get it. Um, and that's why he also takes long jaunts away from the castle because he's on the hunt, hunt for more Horcruxes. Uh, he eventually finds the pendant, which is what we go and deal with at the end of this movie. Yeah, I, I like the introduction of the Horcruxes. I, I think it was very well done. Again, something that you can then go back and when you reread the book, you're like, oh, there's a Horcrux and there's a Horcrux and there's this and there's that. It's fun. Um, I like it. There's a, there's a wonderful theory about the Horcruxes explaining away why the Dursleys were so horrible to Harry. Hmm. I think J.K. Rowling has come in and kind of squashed it, but I think it's really good. The reason the Dursleys were so horrible to Harry Potter was they were living with a Horcrux for 12 years. Yeah, that's a good I think point. that obviously has a lot of magical influence and a lot of darkness around it. Harry is a Horcrux himself, yeah. and that kind of corrupts his auntie and uncle against him. Now, J.K. has came in and said, no, they're just horrible people. But for once, J.K., just, you know, you, you, you've taken in a lot of these wonderful fan theories and made them your own. We haven't even got to my personal favourite fan theory. We'll get to that in Deathly House Part 2. I think I know which one I is. am going to gush unstoppably about it. Um, but yeah, I like the whole... Well, uh, there was a lot of darkness added in here, but they do add some more light things. Uh, on the wrong side of things, uh, we kind of get... It, it was, it, again, both of these relationships were much better handled. One was kind of more jarring in this book that it was added, but it made sense. Yeah. Harry and Ron, Ron and Hermione has been bubbling for some time. There were hints of it here and there in the early movies, particularly in, in Goblet of Fire, there was hints yeah, towards yeah, it. Yeah, there was. But this is the kind of real big... Whilst we don't get the payoff that comes later, we do get Ron with Lavender Brown, who I thought was fine. I think Lavender Brown was actually like relatively funny and like like actually can act. Of all the kid actors, she actually like has a character and you don't think that's someone trying to act, that's an actual... I was able to switch off my suspension yeah, of disbelief actually, with her. Yeah, because I did say at the top of this review that I didn't like Lavender Brown. I think I just don't like that character, which might be testament to her portrayal. Because, yeah, she could act. Well, because she says 1-1 one, one and all that good stuff. Uh, She's she... actually improved upon that character from the comic books. She, from, comic books from, the, from the books. She wasn't really much of anything in the books. But, really? Um, well, no, she was prominent, but she wasn't like like this. She wasn't as funny or as entertaining as uh, Lavender Brown is here. But then, of course, when Ron gets knocked out by something... Um, oh yeah, when he takes the love, po- one of Malfoy's failed attempts to kill um, Voldemort. Yeah, he gets, he gets um, poisoned, doesn't he? Yes, um, we get which happens, which is just something that again, I'll, in my head, is just glossed over. But carry on. Well, I think look, Malfoy made several attempts to try and kill Dumbledore. The there was the pendant that takes out Katie Bell. Uh, there was the oh, that wine. Was cool. I like that. Was cool. that. <laughs> um, the the wine that uh, Slughorn um, was meant to give to Dumbledore, but ends up drinking himself. Uh, we haven't talked about Felix. Um, Felix Felicius, the the good look. Oh, um, that was cool. Was, that was a fun. Like, I that enjoyed that. Daniel Radcliffe being quirky, which <laughs> yeah. was which was probably actually his best. Like like that point towards he can be a quirky actor, just not meant for Harry Potter, unfortunately. Ha- have you seen the Lonely Island uh, skit Great Day? No. The, the oh yeah. I don't know why, but it feels like today is going to be a great day. The <laughs> spend one. more time with my kids. Yeah, that's what it felt like. Too. I was just like, everything's so fancy free now that Voldemort's back. <laughs> <laughs> that's got a very good point, ladies oh. and gentlemen. Um, yeah, the the um, so that 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 basically comes at the end of that scene. We get to see Ron get poisoned. 
that knocked him out and he's saying morning in his sleep so you're like oh fanfic number no, one is well underway although it's it's very much a case of it this that entire subplot that ends with like Hermione doing the weird shit to throw stu- what's the spell that throws stuff at him oh when he throws the birds to him yeah, it doesn't really like, got a name I don't think it's very yeah. much a case of uh, like it was like a Final Fantasy game and all Final Fantasy games are eight hours of people not saying what they feel yeah it's rather frustrating yeah so well, yeah that was annoying it, that it kind of felt like she just all of a sudden developed these really strong feelings for Ron for the sake of this film, whereas it was much better planned in the books. Now, in the books, even, the whole Harry and Ginny thing basically starts in this book. And it comes out of only has two books, but it's so well done in terms of teenage romances in the books. In in the, the, yeah, the movie just comes out. He's no. going out. She's going out with Dean Thomas, and they repeat, they, they keep going back to this kind of um, motif of Harry feeling like there's a lion in his chest, and every time he sees Dean with Ginny... This imaginary lion like fucking gets angry and he wants to go and get Dean. He fucking hates Dean. <laughs> Teenagers, we've all been there. It's yep. all those stupid things. And then he eventually um, gets the girl in the end. It's all fantastic. And and it's a really nice moment in the books where they finally get to, to kiss. It's, it's wonderful. It's in the room requirement, isn't it? Uh, it is in the room requirement. Yeah, yes, I remember but it's, the thing. But it's, it's, it's much better done in the books. Than yeah, it just happens in the books. she's like, yeah. Bye. See ya. Bye. <laughs> that's the last we see of you for this movie. Okay. Bye. I know they they did add a scene in this book that is that they did actually add a scene in this movie, a very big scene in this movie that isn't in the books at all. Right. The attack on the Weasley household does not happen in the books. Oh, you mean the attack that has zero ramifications? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, it just got that's... a fire. Da, 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 yeah. Bye. Bye. Like, oh, but okay. I think they added it so we could have the visual of Ginny and Harry fighting together, which we don't yeah. actually get. It happens in the book, I think, at one point, but it doesn't actually happen. It happens in Deathly Hallows, I think, but we don't get it anywhere else. That was a nice thing to see, to see future husband and wife fighting next to each other. But, um, but yeah, the, the, the Ginny thing, I think it's fine in this movie. And and it does make sense, but it, just because it's so... It's even more jarring than it is in the books. doesn't quite hit home. They, they okay, get yeah. it better for Deathly Hallows, kind of. Um, um, but, yeah, you don't really feel like the love's really there. That was because, again, Harry Potter's got more important things to be doing than shagging, and Ron and Hermione, it's kind of their thing to do. That's what they're there to do. <laughs> they're going to uh, fuck. Gonna fuck. Um, <laughs> and it also gets Cho Chang out the way. Oi. Oh, I don't, I just, I'm, I'm, go- I'm giving it in. No, I'm just going to leave now. I ain't got time for it. My, my, my Scottish accent is immediately crumbling at the moment. <laughs> okay, let's get, let's skip to the good bit at the end. Yeah. Um, we talked about previously, were the Dementors too scary? And I think we, we, we said kind of, yeah. In uh, Azkaban years, yeah, yeah definitely. And and the, the graveyard scene at the end of Goblet of Fire was also equally terrifying. Nothing in comparison to Zombie Pond. Oh, yeah, forgot about My that. My God, that's horrific. Right? <laughs> this is still, let us not forget, although we've grown up with this, and it had a lot of, you know, air age, from air age, but 17, 18-year-old fans that could deal with that type of thing. Still a kids franchise, and there's an entire pond full of corpses. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. They're called Inferni, or Inferi in the books. They are zombies, and it's implicitly said they are the corpses of victims of, of, um, of Voldemort. In here, they're treated more like actual magical creatures, whereas in the book, they are straight-up zombies trying to drag him to hell. Oh, shit. And they, they shoot it in a way that you don't really see in, in the depth you see in the book of the details she goes into about the zombies. Really quite awesome. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is this is Dumbledore and, and Harry. Dumbledore's revealed his master plan of, like, we're going to get rid of the Horcruxes. I found the pendant. It's in a cave in Dorset. Um, 
As, as you do. Um, <laughs> forage is always in England. And, and, and they go to get it. They, they go across this pond. And we get this <laughs> wonderful scene where Dumbledore says, in a, in a great moment, there's lots of great moments like this, where there's got to make a blood sacrifice on the door to get it open. Yeah. And he says, no, your, your blood is far more valuable than mine. And he cuts his hand open and puts it on there. Uh, and then we get to the potion they've got to drink in order to get the pendant out of the of the kind of um, bird bath it's in. Yeah. That's, that's a better word it's for it. It's straight up a bird bath. It is a bird bath. Uh, and, and Harry wants to do it because he's younger and fitter, but Dumbledore says, no, I've brought it here under one specific condition. You are to keep feeding this to me no matter what. I am far more wise, far more powerful, and far less valuable than you are. You are much more important to everything else. I will take this bullet. It's like, that's my boy, Dumbledore. Yeah. Um, he drinks it. And... I went to Dublin this weekend. Yeah. And I, I kind of went for the same experience that Dumbledore <laughs> yeah, did. It's not that in that I was drinking and I didn't really want to drink anymore, but I had people send me to drink and I was like, I don't want to drink anymore. <laughs> no, you've got to drink. I don't want to, I just want to stop. I just want to go home. No, you've got to keep drinking. I don't want to. And then the next morning, morning waking up and the first thing I say is, what a... Uh, so I, I get the pain that Dumbledore's going through here. Oh. There's, like, he gets really, like, he's shouting, kill me in a kid's movie. He's begging for death. Yeah. And again, oh. that's all. this is all shot in the sepia tone we mentioned earlier as well. So it's all very art house bullshit. Yeah. And like, kill me. Can we it does not? Look good, and then, yeah, the Inferno <laughs> drag Harry into the pond. And you think, oh, but Dumbledore's just trying to grab for his wand and he's all fucked. And then suddenly, no, badass Dumbledore with the fire. Like, yeah, that bitches. was badass. That does make him look so. He got one final stand before he bit the bullet, did old Dums. Um, and yeah, we get him. Dums. Dums. We get him out. We get him. Um, we get him to. Uh, back into Hogwarts. And this is where this, this movie for me, this book really does hit home on. on Possibly the biggest death in the entire series. Dumbledore probably lasted longer than anybody who, when reading the books the first time at Air Raid, would have thought, "Well, he's never going to make it that far. He's an elderly mentor." Well, this was the big, the the this was the the one of the big first memes about Harry Potter was was, was going Snape kills Dumbledore, Snape kills Dumbledore everywhere, yeah, and ruining it for everybody. Uh, of course, we couldn't let the, <laughs> that little chestnut sit, could we? That was fun. And and Dumbledore says, go get Snape. Harry questions it slightly and says, no, he's the man I trust. I need him right now. Sends Harry away to go and fetch him, knowing full well what's going to happen. Now, in the books, Harry's under the invisibility cloak. And when Dumbledore feels someone coming upstairs, he hits him with um, the um, the freezing charm. What's it called now? He shoots Neville with it in the first movie. Whatever it is. He shoots Harry with that so he can't move and he's basically looking up against his watching all this happen. Oh, shit. It explains why Harry doesn't interfere in anything. Because Harry could interfere in, in this one originally. He's just looking from underneath. Um, yeah. The, what is that tower anyway? Because I always forget. That, that is the thing. astronomy tower. The astronomy tower. Now, they do mention it very briefly in a few um, of the earlier books that he has astronomy, um, astronomy classes up there. I can't remember the name of the uh, Professor Andromeda or something, but yeah. Um, something space-related. Something space-related. Um, no, Andromeda is the name of Tonks' mom. Anyway, um, so they they have their their astrology lessons up there, and that's where they. So it's called the Battle of the Astronomy Tower. The battle's actually longer drawn out in the in the books. There's a whole fight out of Hogwarts by the Death Eaters. Yeah, uh, with Harry kind of running around in their wake uh, yeah. when the when the Order of the Phoenix turn up. Um, uh, and instead, in this version, Harry goes downstairs. Snape turns up, but there's Malfoy. 
trying to kill Dumbledore, and Dumbledore just talking him down, saying, look, you don't want to do this, you're just a kid, I know you've been sent here, I know you're scared, you don't have to do this. I did enjoy that. I really it's, enjoyed this bit. It's Gambon basically being the teacher, being the, the you know, the grandfather saying, look, you, I know you're scared, you don't have to do this, you don't have to kill me. I would say this is the closest, I mean, I know Harris was always a warmer Dumbledore, but this is the closest Gambon came to, to not author, mm, authoritative emotion, I guess. like he Reassurance. Was, reassurance. It's the, it's the warmest he felt. I mean, obviously everything he's done in this movie is a sacrifice, so it mm-hmm. all makes sense, but just... The talking down of his own murderer. Mm-hmm. I just thought it, that. I thought if anybody's gonna appeal, not appeal, pleading, begging for their life, yeah. but appeal with love to the person to that's the, going to kill them. To the better intentions of, of Draco Malfoy. That's Dumbledore. Because you can tell that, that Malfoy doesn't really want to do it. He's just doing it because he's genuinely terrified of what will happen to his family if he doesn't. Oh God, yeah. Then the rest of the Death Eaters turned up, and you're like, ooh. If you weren't me and didn't read the book prior to the movie, you're like, ooh, what's happening? Here? Snape turns up. You're like, oh, don't worry, Snape will sort this out. Snape goes upstairs in that beautiful moment that only gets better in retrospect. Yep. He looks, Dumbledore says, Snape, please. And then, Avalakadabra! And we get that wonderful shot <laughs> of just him disappearing over the barricade and just falling to his wonderful death. Now that bit, because obviously I've not seen the last movie before, I watched this and I went, okay, I knew that was coming because the meme... I was like, that came out of nowhere. And at the same time, he looks really not surprised and bored. He was just kind of like, mm, what you say? Oh, that's your only man. <laughs> well, as he's tumbling down, I'm like, oh, that was a bit shit. Well, if you remember, he's already dead at this point. If you remember the Cedric example, yeah, he's, no, I, he's I get dead. It. I get um, it. But, but like, I was like, this is surprisingly... It was emotional, but it was devoid of emotion from Gambon. And then that is given, like you said, context by the later stuff. And <laughs> beautiful. Can't wait to talk about that, Michael. I know. Um, and yeah, so so we have them all leaving um, Hogwarts. They set fire to Hagrid's hut and all that good stuff. Um, for reasons. For reasons. Literally but, just no Hagrid's reason. actually in there. No, Hagrid's trying to fight them off. And they say he's on fire because then Fang's trapped inside and he goes to save him. Um, and then we get that, that wonderful bit between Snape and, and Harry... Where Snape basically again, you see it in retrospect, you can see he's not trying to hurt Harry; he's just stopping him yeah. from from giving. Chase. Oh, it was just like a no, 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 no. You see a powerful Snape is, and he's like, "You coward!" And that's the only thing that annoys him. He's like, "Do not call me a coward, you bastard!" And just knocks him. <laughs> yeah. We get the big reveal that Snape all along was the Half Blood Prince, um, and yeah, they all scarper. And we get that lovely scene of all the, the ones being lit and pointed towards the sky that for their fallen really, headmaster. That was really, really cool. was nice. I like and that. the final shot is of Fawkes leaving the ground. Uh, his master is dead, so he's now off into the ether, never to be seen again in the books or the films. Yeah, um, for so yeah, Fawkes is off. So, we got the big old death. I was working at the cinema when half Blood Prince came out. Cannot tell you the amount of people who came out crying. Lots and lots of people. Only bettered by the next movie, which we'll talk about in a moment. But I took great joy in watching all these kids walk past and lean over going, Abandon home, children! He's dead! And he ain't ever coming back! Oh, children! Um, so yeah, well, you, you expressed some bad opinions. Hopefully I've shown that there is more good to be had in Half-Blood Prince, but I'm going to guess you're putting it near the bottom of your ranking. Oh, yes, I am, definitely. Okay. This is solid number six. Uh-huh. I don't think that although The Last Hour is mightily impressive, certainly in terms of law, filmmaking, emotion, doesn't make up for the utterly boring, forgettable, the fact that you've run down everything and I've just gone, oh yeah, that did happen. 
But I will instantly forget once we're at, into the next episode. I will instantly forget once that's happened. It sits just, and I mean just above order. Like, back oh, to... God. I know, back to backing these these movies was just... like I, I, messaged, I messaged you and, and when I was saying I should be done with the series, when I said, it's over, thank God. Yeah. I was referencing the fact that, the, oh, God... I had to watch those two movies back to back before I could oh. get to the good ones. Okay, uh, I, 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 I'm glad we had this kind of flipping of the tables between Phoenix and, and Half of Prince because um, Order of uh, Half of Prince sits at number three in my in my shit, very much opposite. I I do I like I I think I like it more in retrospect once you've read or watched Deathly Hallows. I think it actually gets better as a movie, but as a standalone book, this is this is my second favorite, and yeah, I I, I really liked. They they took the important parts from from the books and put them on screen. Obviously, there's there's not enough time to do everything. The justice it gets in in the books, but I think that for the most part they got it and did it pretty well. Yeah. Uh, right, plug away, Michael. Rightio, you can go to fansdaemon.com. We're in the midst of thirty days of stuff. That's a new piece of content every day in November. Uh, Harry Potter week is of course a part of that, so you can go back and listen to the rest of this week, or you can go and read some of the articles or listen to some more podcasts. There's plenty for you to go and find. Then you can go to Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, or Minds and go and find us under the username FowlENT. That's F O U L E N T. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at, at that Mike Owen. You can follow me on Twitter at the Guthridge. Also, go check out ProWrestling.net for all of my wrestling-related articles. If you're into that type of thing, um, yes, you could go back and listen to all of the previous Harry Potter movies we've done this week in the build-up to Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find, which I only know a few days away. Uh, and yeah, if you come back tomorrow, it's time for part one of the end. Uh, we've definitely Hallows part one. This should be fun. Basically, Warner Brothers spending two hundred million pounds on a knowingly shit movie, yeah, just so they could make way for part two to be the greatest things in sliced goddamn bread. If that's not a teaser, I don't know what is. See you later, everybody. Bye bye.